Hello and welcome. My name is Tanai and I help women become confident with themselves and their sexuality and shed the pressure to be the good girl. For the past 10 years, I've worked with all kinds of sex and relationship experts to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, only to find out that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is my opportunity to debunk commitment phobia, so drop all of your preconceived notions and tune in to hear what I've learned along my journey about what it takes for people to create authentic and intimate connections. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Oh, man, I am just so excited to see where the conversation goes today with my dear friend, Cesar Barajas. I have no doubt that this conversation is going to go deep and be very vulnerable because Caesar does not play small and does not hold back when it comes to talking about the things that matter, talking about the things that have to do with people and connecting and getting real. Um, and I, I first want to start with saying who caesar has been in my life because that's how I start every episode. I met Caesar at a time when, when I was honestly not okay. I was I was pretty much bouncing in and out of of a little bit of a depressive state. I was living in New York, my first years out of college, and of course, you know, we all have a lot of pressure to perform, especially in New York. And my body image was my biggest struggle at the time, and I would go into these crazy spurts of not going out. And not eating out with with friends, I would just go to the gym so that I could make sure that I was skinny, so that I could make sure that men would like me. And then I'd go into the gym and see Caesar's face, and and it was wow. It just made me feel so good because Caesar was always the kind of guy who would push you with so much love, like he would never make you feel like you don't belong in that gym. Um, So that's how our friendship started, and then we stayed connected. I left New York, moved back to Miami. And we reconnected at a time where, where Caesar was going through some tough stuff, especially during the pandemic. And we were each other's rocks. We were there for each other every week, connecting and meeting virtually to work out so that we could, you know, keep our spirits high. And honestly, that is what kept my spirits high during the quarantine. Um, so, yeah. Caesar is an international wellness mentor and advocate. He literally says it on his website. He's here to give you the no bullshit truth about mental wellness. So this is what you're without a doubt going to get here today. Um, so I'm forever grateful to you, Caesar. And I I can't possibly describe who he is because he's lived about a thousand lives. He's <laughs> he's a yoga instructor, meditation teacher. He's been on major network TV shows and he's been on, you know, he's traveled doing theater and been a choreographer and a stuntman. And I swear, like, he's a cat. He's had all these different lives that he comes back and at the same time, just always comes to everything with so much energy and joy. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling constriction in my chest and an emotional wall come up into my throat and so i'm going to take a deep breath and i'm going to invite all of our beautiful listeners to just take a deep breath with me if you see fit and feel comfortable 
Because what's resonating the most deeply with me, first off, thank you to nine milligram listeners, if you don't know, is a super shero, a wonder woman, a warrior of light and love. And people speak to how like attracts like. And so it's no surprise that she and I are friends and have been friends for years. And I remember vividly, I'm coaching these classes in New York City and in comes in this five foot one on a good day, five, one, five, two beast, this beautiful beast. And she'd come in and no matter what was going on in her outside world of which I had no privy to, I didn't know. She came in and worked. There was zero complaints other than the occasional obscenity muttered under your breath tea at me, but, but it was never like obscenity. I'm not doing the work. And so your tenacity and strength is something that attracted me to you. And then we fell into this friendship. And like you said, then the pandemic hits. And what I want everyone to understand and try to connect to vividly right now is that the pandemic viciously and violently tore away from us our social circles. It took away our senses of community. And I, in the midst of all, capital A, capital L, capital L, all that I was experiencing, including my partner and I splitting severe bouts of anxiety, depression, my post-traumatic stress were all flaring up. I was suffering from burnouts, compassion, fatigue. And the one person that I knew that I could connect to and I had to show up for two to three times a week so that we could chat, so that we could do yoga, so that you could work out was tonight. And so tonight, Milgram, ladies and gentlemen, kings and queens, magicians and lovers who are listening, she is one of the, honest to God, one of the only reasons why I am still sitting here now to even offer this interview. And I love you and thank you. And so with all of that, we are going to speak to a number of things, but let this be really about an intention setting for relationships. And I know we're going to get into relationships, but relationships, my friends, we all know, take on many different forms. They wear many different hats. And so I hope that we get a chance to go into the wide variety because most folks will pigeonhole themselves when they hear relationships and they think immediately relationship with your partner, lover, relationship with your family, maybe friends, community, co-workers. But really outside of that, what do we have? And so she and I were talking before we hit record about the relationships to the earth, the relationships to strangers, the relationships to faraway lands that you've maybe thought of and never visited. So let's get into all of that. But I am so honored to be here. I love you and thank you. And yo, let's do this, homie. Yeah, I got you. Let's do this. Ah, uh, and thank you for for those words. Oh my God, you 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 always do that. You just throw on <laughs> words of appreciation for me, and they just blow me away. So thank you. You deserve them all. Mm. All right, so I would like to start with you growing up, and and what I want to and what I want to start with is um, asking you about what what it was like for you to be yourself growing up. Because 
my my first impression of you and and still has always been your approval for being yourself fully. You are so many things. And amongst those things, you're a man who talks about his emotions. You're a man who expresses his artistic talents. You're a man who has been, um, you know, who, who is an army veteran. You're all these things. And so you're kind of like. Uh, that would be the United States Navy. Sorry. Tonight. Oh, my Thank God. You. Navy veteran. Navy veteran. <laughs> but is the Navy not the same thing as the it's army? Isn't a part of the army? No, that'll be a completely separate Damn podcast. Okay. But you're a seven-year U.S. Navy veteran. Yes. And shout out to every single person who's ever served in any capacity within the military, police, fire departments, healthcare workers. I, I salute all of those people. But there's a little bit of inter-military rivalry. Oh, so rivalry. go Navy, beat Army. Okay. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay perfect. So anyway... Yeah, you're all these things. And and so what what was that experience like of like how did you was it something that just came natural to you to just be yourself and be Ooh, okay with it? Uh I actually love that you're asking me this because no, no, no heck to the no. I grew up uncertain of who I was. By the time I started eighth grade, I was in and had attended nine different schools. So here and so let me backtrack just a moment by saying that where I am currently right now in my emotional sobriety has been about 11 years in the making. In 2010, I found formal therapy for the first time after my divorce. So the man that you know now who shares and openly and vulnerably will reveal feelings and feel emotions only really came about over the course of the last two, two and a half years. So if we're looking at a timeline of my 46 years of existence, 30 plus years of those were spent uncertain, unsure, dreading abandonment, fearing acceptance, but yet desperately craving to be a part of something. And finding myself then as a child growing up, young teenager, young adult, into my 30s, uncertain really of who I was. It wasn't until my divorce. It wasn't until I found formal therapy. It wasn't until I found cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR. And it wasn't until my official diagnosis of anxiety and depression and post-traumatic stress did we finally start to get a grasp. But we're also looking at a person who's sitting before you all to, at this moment right here, who's got 10 plus years, a decade plus years of internal and external work. So who I was as a child was nothing like I am right now. The only respite I had was I could get on a stage and I started singing, performing when I was eight years old. Imagine a little fat Mexican kid outside of <laughs> Dallas, Texas at a bluegrass festival singing Michael Jackson's Beat It. When the headliners to this bluegrass festival were the Southern Gospel Group, and I learned one of my favorite all-time gospel songs, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. And so here's this kid who's singing One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus, and at the same time singing Michael Jackson's Beat It. So the only break that I ever had was if I was in front of people. Because when I was in front of people, I didn't have to be me. And I was also that three-year-old 
you know, at quinceañeras, at bodas, at weddings, that as soon as the music started playing, here's this three-year-old by himself on the dance floor. No fear. So what I learned to do then through my performing career, and I started dancing, performing professionally when I was 15. So my after-school job was at a theme park. Six Flags Astroworld. Rest in peace, Astroworld, here in Houston, Texas. And so I could find myself on stages becoming these other people. And I found that that began 30 years of a beautiful career in entertainment and performing. And I found that as long as I was busy, I didn't have to be with me. And guess what the pandemic did? The pandemic forced me by myself in isolation in my Queens, New York City apartment to be alone. Because guess what? There was no tonight to go visit. There were no classes to go coach. There was no chance in heck, following safety COVID precautions, that I could go out and just be with my friends. I had to be in isolation and it forced me to find me. And here I am. And you were literally just right out of a relationship. Yeah. So here's a, a partner, greatest love that I think I've ever known and, and hope to equate that at some point someday, which ended. And that three-year relationship, living with someone, and anyone who's ever lived with someone knows that it's their shared space. But like once that energy is gone, you see and you hear their ghosts. And I was in the apartment that we shared for another 10 months before I left. So yes, there were quite a number of things that I was trying to balance. And I was battling, not daily, I was battling hourly, just trying to maintain some semblance of sanity. And so I found myself twice a week finding peace because I knew that I was going to see Tanai on Zoom and we were going to work out and we were going to be kicking our own butts. But then after Tanai got off the Zoom and I had the rest of the afternoon of nothing planned because I had no job. My theater performing career had been brought to a standstill. There's no coaching or teaching. And it wasn't the same to do that virtually. I just, that was God in the universe telling me, sit still, look in the mirror. What do you see? No, 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 no. Don't look away. Don't look away. Look into the mirror. What do you see? Look deep into the eyes of this beautiful child of God, this beautiful, universally, celestially made human. And what do you see? And I finally began to recognize that I see someone who is worthy, capable, and enough. And this is what led me to then shift what I was teaching and coaching to where I am now with creating the journey and allowing my consulting and coaching services to then tell people or at least be supportive to people that they are worthy. We're in a, a society, specifically we're in an American society where you're told that you're not enough. We're told that depending on the color of your skin, the gender that you choose, the people that you choose to love, that you're either lesser than or that you don't deserve. And all of that is just nonsense. And it's putting ourselves in a position to just hear that and recognize that. Because I didn't 
know it. I didn't hear it. I didn't realize it for 45 years. So all of this that you see and hear and love really is fairly new. Like we're, st I'm still trying to figure out how to be in this new skin. And it's awesome and it's scary and it's terrifying and it's exciting all at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I remember vividly Heather, my friend who I brought to one of your classes, she follows you on Instagram. And I remember this time, this one time we were together and we were looking at your story and you had gone from class to, um, what it, what's it called? What's it called? Like when you try out for a role, like a, oh, an audition to yeah, one an audition, audition to another audition to a yoga class to a boxing class. And then like sitting down and like having cookies with your ex and like, we were like, how does he do it? Like, how does he just jump from one thing to the other? How does he have the time and energy, you know? A, a fervor for life. Like the old adage, like if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I firmly believe that. I, I didn't mind the 19-hour days. I loved it. I remember vividly I was doing Man of La Mancha, Broadway Regional at Westport Country Playhouse in Connecticut. And I would on a Wednesday morning, teach my 6 a.m., work out right after, Jenna Langhans, shout out to my, my beautiful, lovely sister, Jenna, take Jenna's class at 7.15, immediately jump in the shower, run to Grand Central, jump on the train to Connecticut, do two shows that day, a matinee at two and a show that night at eight. At, after the eight o'clock show, they would take us in a van back to New York City. I would go directly to the gym, to sleep on the PT table in the back. You remember where the tire flip was? I would sleep on that back PT table for four hours because then I would teach again that Thursday morning. And then maybe that Thursday encompassed, just like you said, teaching class, taking class, an audition, maybe another audition, recording for Whoa. Active, heading up to Neo U. Oh, yeah, so I, I stayed busy. I stayed busy because I, I loved it. I love what I do. But I also never sat with me. And then I'd go home and my beautiful partner would welcome me and we'd have dinner and I'd get to spend what little time I had with her. And that's eventually what led to the separation. I don't want to call it the demise because I firmly believe in my heart that the relationship is still there somehow, some way. But what led to the separation was I didn't know how to handle emotionally what came up for me if I was then put under a perceived notion of a threat. And what that means is I, my whole life, have had to deal with aggression and anger issues. I'm also a survivor of multiple traumas, as is everyone. But we're talking like little T traumas, capital T traumas. And so not knowing how to displace that energy, what happens when a trauma occurs is your body Hi, shout out to Dr. Vanderkirk, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. Your body will vividly remember. And unless you do something to release that energy, it's stuck. And so for some reason, years later, you'll hear a song on the radio. You'll get to a particular stop sign. Maybe it's a stop sign that you had a car accident at 15 years earlier, and your body will tense. 
So then it takes you from your normal, comfortable window of tolerance and puts you in this hypervigilant state. It puts your body in this hyper-aroused state. And so the key is to come back from that. But most of us, because society doesn't allow us, we stay in this consistent state of hyper-arousal, hyper-vigilance. It's like running the car engine on a race car at that red line. You're revving that engine, revving that engine. But what happens if you continually rev that engine? It will fail. That engine will eventually blow the F up and our bodies do that. And so can you imagine the sheer number of us who spend our entire lives never having fully recovered or released or found some sort of restoration from the traumas that were incurred on us? And my friends, I dare you to show me one single person who's never had anything traumatic happen to them. It doesn't exist. And so part of what I do now is teach people, guide people to understand that your breath work, what you do in simply, consciously, affectionately taking a deep breath will then set into motion the positive ripple effects towards healing. Breath work can be responsible for redemption, reformation, not just physically putting your body in a state of decompression and calming. Heck, taking a couple of deep breaths a day consciously helps your body with digestion. It helps to improve mood. It helps to improve focus and clarity. So all of that to say is that I had to take, you called it a hero's journey. I had to take this hero's journey to find myself here being able to share this with you. Six months ago, you and I couldn't have had this conversation. Three months ago, you and I couldn't have had this conversation. Guess what? Three weeks ago, we couldn't have had this conversation because less than three weeks ago, I was at a men's retreat in Mexico taking part in cultural and indigenously based healing ceremonies. So prior to three weeks ago, I had no idea that I had this warrior blood ancestrally, divinely gifted to me. And now I feel it. So guess what? I walk a little taller. Mm. So what, what, when you say that, that you didn't know you had this ancestor warrior blood, how did you, yeah, like tell, tell us a little bit more about that and, and what that, like what that made clear for you, how, how it clicked for you. Of, of course, I, I'm happy to. So here's a question I'm going to post for you, T, and would love for you to answer. Have you ever at any point thought about where you are derived from? And anything past, like maybe your parents and grandparents, have you ever thought about those particular family members? Yeah, actually, I feel like just because I, th I think like as a Jewish person, we talk so much about the nation and like because it's so small, we are so um, always aware of like at least go having gone to pri like a private Jewish school and talking about that all the time. Um because I actually do know a lot of Jewish people who sh who their parents or grandparents showed up to the States and they're like, all right, let's forget about our ancestors. Like, let's do things different, you know? Beautiful. So I'm, I'm hearing you recall this very beautiful memory. Growing up in a Jewish school, you were then taught, correct me if I'm wrong, generationally who came before you and their importance. <gasps> I love hearing that. You know why that makes me excited? Because guess what? No one, no one else has taught that. I wasn't taught that. I grew up in various schools in Texas. God, 
Lord, send some strength to the people of Texas, <laughs> to this current government. God, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to get political, but a lot of this has political ties. So in recognizing who we are, you're I think one of the few people who grew up with this sense of who your ancestors are, the generations that came before you. I had no idea. Outside of my mom and dad, outside of my grandparents, I met my great-grandmother when I was a kid. Outside of that, I didn't think about anything, anybody. I never stopped to think that my parents, who are Mexican-born, my brother and I are first-generation Americans, raised in the States, educated in the States. He and I both have multiple degrees, including master's degrees. We both taught and coached all over the world. Never stopped to think that my Mexican parents were derived from the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Incans. I'll have you share with me briefly, like the beautiful lineage of the Jewish people. Can we then stop to think for a moment where you were from? And it doesn't matter culturally what you're connected to. I have a beautiful friend. She's French, Chinese, Filipino, Black. And I was like, oh my gosh, you have all of this king and queen, warrior, magician, lover, blood in you. That's what I mean by we don't stop to think outside of our own social circle, outside of maybe ourselves and our families. Have we ever paused to think where we're derived from? And so the reason why this is exciting to me is because I only recently came into light that what I carry is not just the pride and the strength of the warriors before me, but also their pain and their shame. Generational trauma is very real. We may not realize that we wake up and we're not feeling the greatest. And this depression that you've been diagnosed with and this anxiety that you're told you have to take anti-anxiety pills for may be derived from what happened to to 300 years ago, which makes it all the more important to highlight where we currently are in the state of affairs when it comes to recognizing that Black Lives Matter. Let me shout it again for the people in the back. That Black Lives Matter, that Brown Lives Matter, that Asian Lives Matter. That who you choose to love within the realm of the LGBTQIA plus community matters. And so now as an advocate and an activist and an ally, it is, I think, the only reason why I survived. It's the reason why when I was suicidal last fall, I decided not to take my life. You know why? Because I had people like Tanai texting me and telling me she loves me, checking in with me to make sure that I was breathing. And then realizing, you know what? If I leave this earth, that's an unfair way. It's an unfair way to leave my friends hanging, my family hanging, my community hanging. So I'm speaking to ancestral strength from a place of recognition, but newfound recognition. I'm also an adjunct professor at Columbia University. And one of the things I love to teach is within the university setting, like here's an Ivy League university out of New York, is to recognize that every single person that got there had to work to get there. Whether you're black, white, brown, or Asian, like, wow, that's, that's an accomplishment. So can we find ourselves in a position to celebrate ourselves? You know, and that's a whole other four-hour podcast. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and when you mentioned that piece about 
about anger and and not really knowing how to handle that when that came up because you know especially because of all the trauma that you've gone through that from big to small um did you find that in relationships you were hoping for them to take it away or were you hoping okay with this partner like they're they're going to be able to carry my pain like was that ever a thought for you because i know for a lot of people it is you know they're hoping that their relationships are just gonna take away that pain carry their load i'm gonna take a a deep breath before i answer that And feel free, listeners, at any point, if you feel like taking a deep breath, because we're touching up on some things that may raise some, some feelings of some sort. In all the years of really some wonderful relationships that I've been a part of, I fully expected them to take away that pain. And that is a burden that is unfairly and unjustly put on a partner. I also, because keep in mind, if you paint a picture of who I am and have been for years, I'm on this public, publicly viewed platform. So I had a certain image to uphold. And the only place that I could come home and vent those frustrations, because, you know, I wasn't that kind of person that publicly, socially, within the realms of the classes I was teaching. I never brought my problems into the studio, unlike some teachers. Some coaches <laughs> will tell you, I'm having a shit day, yeah, yeah. so I'm going to whoop y'all's butt. Uh-huh. Well, I never did that. Yep. You, I, I, Tanai beautifully introduced me as having someone that carried joy all the time. And I have to challenge that. And I have to tell you that that was a mask for years and years and years. And it wasn't just true. Because the, underneath that mask of joy, lied some of the most horrific pain and confusion. So what it did was, is it put me in a position to come home to whoever, whatever partner I was gifted enough to be with. And it, the pain was then taken out on them. And so my partners over the years have been, Really, through no fault of their own, they were put into positions to receive. And that's eventually what led to the breakups, the separations. Again, the first time that it ever became clear to me was after my divorce. My ex-wife rightfully left. So if by any chance she's listening, I'm sorry. I've had really or some I've had some really wonderful moments because I've also gone through like the 12 steps and the 12 steps speak through in recovery being able to if you can and it's safe for you and whoever it is that you're saying you're sorry to to say I'm sorry and give apologies. And so I've had some really beautiful moments over the years where I've gotten to say to partners of mine and hey, I was a real asshole. <laughs> I was a real jerk and I'm sorry and to have that forgiveness. What did that forgiveness do for you? It, it it lifts a weight because I, to this day, like at this moment right here, I can, I can feel where that remorse and guilt sit in my heart and in my chest. And I've, I'm very physically in tune. 
not just as a dancer and I know my body, but what I've learned to do over the last year because of what, again, psychosomatically happens to us after traumas is where are you feeling it? And then what are you feeling? And then what do you need? Let's take away the story. What do you physically feel? Well, I feel consistent tension in the back of my, the left side of my neck. And then my acupuncturist taught me that that's a heart channel. So guess what? I've been heartbroken and grieving, not just deaths due to COVID, but my own relationship and my anxiety. And right now I'm tending to my father and his treatments for a medical ailment. And so why then does the intensity in the left side of my neck just keep me up at night? Well, it's because it's connected to my heart. And guess what, people, whether you believe it or not, or whether you think you're the Grinch or not, everyone's got a heart and everyone loves. So just you could sit here and try to put up the biggest front in the world, but I know that you love, you love something. Man, so that, that's say, what like, it did. It's, it's so important how, how you're speaking to that because I think we're just taught that relationships are meant to take our pain away. Oh, yes, ma'am. Um, yeah, right? So I think, mm-hmm. I think it's so important to speak on that because um, a, lot of, a lot of people will blame the relationship wasn't working and it's really, it's just the way that the, you know, it's just like the interactions, you know, how, how people don't take responsibility for their anger thinking that it, they have to blame themselves, but it's not about that. It's actually just, mm. Mm. yeah, it's actually just reframing what, what a partner is, reframing what relationships are for. Thank you. Absolutely correct. I'm actually going to use that to segue into what you and I have spoken to before extensively about what is considered aligned femininity and what is considered aligned masculinity and the misalignments that exist between both men and women. Aside from Tanai, one of my other saving graces over the last year was as I found a men's support group. I didn't even know that men's group support existed. I, coming from 12 Steps, Emotions Anonymous, Recovering Rageaholic, I told you I am and have been emotionally sober for 10 plus years. And with anything involving sobriety, you have lapses. Sometimes you're on top of the world and you've got everything in every bit of control. Control meaning you think you're in control, but really everything seems to be aligning. And then you fall. Wow, I'd never heard of that. I've had multiple, multiple rides in that roller coaster. Up, down, up, down. It wasn't until my separation last June that I realized I need even more help because the help that I'm getting is only doing so much, not knowing that God and the universe were putting me in a position to then receive, receive everything that I wholeheartedly had to listen to. So there's an organization called Everyman. It's been around for 30 plus years. There's another organization called the Unshakable Man. So I became an attendee three to five times a week in their weekly meetings, their breathwork sessions, 
So here I am coming in with all of this experience and education as a meditation teacher, as a yoga teacher, as a breathing techniques instructor. I'm a master teacher for the Veteran Yoga Project, an ambassador. I had certification mindful resiliency for trauma recovery and compassion fatigue, like all of these certs and all of these, all of this education, but yet I wasn't educated. So just because you have education doesn't mean that you are educated. So I went into these groups fully ready and open, desperately seeking something. Right. It's like life took out all those layers that you couldn't penetrate through for this to actually seep in. Precisely. Precisely. Wow. So I remember vividly, Tanai and I would work out. And then half an hour later, I would jump into a men's group support. And I would just listen. And I would share. And I realized that I was in this brave space. And I don't even call it a safe space anymore. So when I teach or coach, I don't try to create a safe space. Because guess what, friends? Safe spaces don't exist. There will always, always be danger present. So rather than trying to create a safe space, because that means you're trying to create an environment that you have no external control over, can we then create a brave space? And so these men, specifically Andrew Kippen, Mike Sagoon, Chris Wilson, Julio Iniguez, these men taught me what a vulnerable, emotionally-based man is. And that raises emotions in me because I found out for the first time in my life that every social constriction placed on me as a man is absolutely wrong. I grew up an athlete, play through the pain. What you crying for? Don't be a bitch. Like every single oppressive, objectifying comment ever made. And on the opposite end, ah, oh, if you're a woman that plays sports, she's manly. Yo, can we just step away for a second and recognize the beauty in just being human? So this is what then raises the frustration and anger in me, is I had no idea that I was being shaped, not just by the events that occurred to me, but cognitively developed by this society I was raised in, not just the American society, but the Latin X household that I was raised in, that the man is the focal point of the family, that machismo is the only way that you're going to get anything done, that if you want to get something, you yell for it, you demand it. So guess who went into their first marriage with that stupid mindset? And what did it do? It caused the demise of that relationship. It caused the demise of every single relationship I was a part of. And so now, with that recognition, it's how do I then share what I spoke to earlier? What's aligned femininity and misaligned femininity? I am a straight, cis, male gender identifying homo sapien. That means human for all of you people that don't know what that is. <laughs> who has been involved in singing and performing and dancing mm -hmm. since I was 10 years old. The first time I ever got hit on by another man, I was 15 and mm -hmm. I found it flattering. <laughs> Guess what? What you can't see is that I've got also my nails done. I love to wear skirts. Can you find yourself in a position to own who you are? And here we are recording during June. Happy pride, everyone. Love is love is love, but yet what are we doing? We're facing these obstacles and these hindrances from a government that doesn't care about its people, 
We're facing hindrances and obstacles from a government that wants to what? Put regulatory laws into place over what a woman chooses to do with her own body. Regulatory laws in place trying to get you to decide who it is that's proper to marry. Don't even get me started on where we currently are with the masks and the vaccines and our current COVID pandemic. So there's so much into play. So what I would love to, to in closing, to, to briefly share, because this is, again, a six-hour conversation, yeah. is that we as people, I don't care who you identify. I don't care if you're far right, conservative, far left liberal. I don't care if you're somewhere in between. I don't care. Every single one of you at some point held both chromosomatic genes to indicate that you were both a man and a woman. Because guess what? At some point in that gestational process, something snapped, and then it was then decided that you were a woman or a man at birth or both. But guess what? That does nothing. That does nothing with who you are in your mind. Every single one of us carry both feminine and masculine traits. So can we please do away with, oh, you throw like a girl. Guess what? I'd love to throw like some of these girls. Can we do away with, oh, you're a tomboy. You're wearing a dress. Stop climbing the trees. Can we do away with that and recognize that we carry both beautifully gifted, divinely processed in us traits and find a way to just exist. But I know that that's work that is going to take mm. <laughs> much more than you and I just talking about it here. Yeah. No, but that's how, that's how we start. We start by having these conversations. And actually, perfect segue into, um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that knowing everything you know now, you would have shown up very different in this previous relationship. And I'm curious to hear, in the way that you communicate, how are, how are some things that now you you're open to communicate or maybe like just the way that you communicate things? How has that changed? Um, especially, you know, s hearing you speak about what it is to be a vulnerable man. Yeah. How do you how do you find yourself communicating things in a different way than you used to? Whew. Please take another deep breath with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. I have been told that my questions just go like right oh, in there. So. They're fantastic. Thank no, you. I love them. I just, I also want to do the question justice. Yeah. yeah. Because I have, it's one thing to have someone else recognize who you are or a shift in your energy or a shift in your being. And it's a completely other platform to be on when that self-realization -real comes in. When the self-awareness flag is raised. And so I now know and fully, without a doubt, believe that the way that I speak and carry myself has shifted 180 degrees. Let's take, for example, my relationship with my parents. I'm shifting into where the child is now becoming the parents. My parents, God bless them both, they're both in their 70s. We've all spoken freely about mortality. We all know that we're going to die. We all know that the only thing we want to do is leave some sort of good footprint on this earth. And my parents, again, came from nothing. My father from a little ranch, rancho outside of Ojo de Agua in Guadalajara, my mom outside of Juarez in 
Chihuahua, Mexico, came to the States with nothing, built everything that, that we have. And we don't have much, but built everything that we have from the ground up so that my brother and I could be provided for. Does that mean that my parents don't drive me nuts? Heck no. So rather than try to abrasively react to them, I breathe. And I try to affectionately respond to them. And what does that mean? It means that if I get cut off in traffic, guess what? I don't lead with anger. I lead with compassion. I don't know if this person is late to work. I don't know if this person is rushing to get to the hospital because their, their wife is in labor. I have no idea. And we don't put forth what someone else is going through because we're raised to be selfish. We were taught early on a system of reward and punishment. If you do good, you'll get rewarded. If you do bad, you'll be punished. Well, hi, that's part of growing. That's part of behaviorally learning is you have to make mistakes. I started teaching years ago and I tell people to this day, like I don't make mistakes. I never lose anymore. I either win or I learn. And so that mistake then is a lesson for me. But what does it do now in, in shifting relationships is it puts me in a position to listen. In order to listen, not listening to your partner so that you're formulating that thought before they're even done talking. And how do we do that, though? We do that by fully focused, intently just being present. And whether it's a simple conversation of what we're going to have for dinner or it's a conversation of, hey, are we going to have kids or not? And if we are, how do we raise them? Financially, emotionally, spiritually, soulfully, and everything in between. Now, I sound like I have the grasp on relationships. Friends, please understand, I am currently single. My partner and I are separated. I have no idea where we're going, what's happening next. I just now know that if I'm given the opportunity to have a partner again, long gone is the bullshit. Long gone is the nonsense. Like, why, like, honestly, people, why come home and argue whether or not the bed was made? Like, for real. Yeah, I think we, we're so quick to go to, you're wrong, and, and we're so scared of saying, that hurt, or like, I'm hurt. Yep. That's oh, the, yes, that's yes, 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 yes. That's the crazy thing, that our, automa our automatic is, you're wrong, and not that this hurts. You know, you did that, and, and I'm hurt. That is a scary place that, that a lot of us are not willing to go to. And, and can I, on that note, piggyback? Yeah. That's an absolutely normal feeling, friends. Your body's central nervous system is comprised of the autonomic nervous system, which then houses your sympathetic and parasympathetic. I'm going to get real nerdy on you. But just know that that's your fight or flight and that's your rest and digest. So guess what? When you come home, and you argue about something, there's usually a, a, a problem-based somewhere else centrally and you're just taking it out or you're not sure how to deal with it. So what happens is, is your body will normally raise its awareness levels. That's okay. Your body normally will then elevate the heart rate, start to increase your breathing. It'll put you in a position where you either you're going to fight something, you're going to flee something, run away, or you're going to freeze. So the key deal is to recognize that within that relationship and then find whatever it is that you need 
not that your partner provides. This is my number one lesson. My partner can't provide that. What do you need to come from that hyper-aroused state of fight, flee, or freeze to come to a place where you get to rest? Let the body slowly digest. And we don't spend enough time coming down from that. And that's where breathing techniques come into play. That's where journaling comes into play. That's where movement and exercise, that's where staying hydrated comes into play. That's where getting enough rest comes into play. That's where coming to a place where you're eating wholesome foods that's not filled with GMO and nonsense and high fructose corn syrup because all of that stuff affects not just your body physically, but your moods. People, it has been scientifically proven that in the 50s and 60s, once GMO began to take precedence and people were able to mass produce foods that were processed, society's moods fell. People's happiness levels fell. And then that shifted into behavioral patterns and actions that then has shaped the last 60, 70 years of our human existence. And we have to come back to a place where we recognize if I'm in a partnership and there is something that we need to talk about, can we talk about it? Openly, candidly, truthfully, honestly, from a place of non-judgment, from a place of what are my needs? If Tanai and I were having a conversation, I would sit here and be like, what is it that I'm hearing her say? Rather than formulating already a rebuttal. Because if I can't provide it, guess what? Vulnerably share, I can't provide that for you. And then be in a place where it's okay to not be able to provide that. Because this isn't the symbiosis of two people coming into a relationship as one. This is the symbiosis of two people who have to remain these separate individuals and move in alignment with each other. Oh, I hate. I'm about to get real personal. I hate in the wedding vows, two people coming together as one. (laughs) Hell no. These are two separate people with two separate ideologies, two separate desires, two separate needs, two separate wants two separate kinks and fetishes, anything, all of that is separate. Can we then put ourselves in a position with your lover, with your partner, with your family, with your coworkers, with strangers on the street, and can you align yourself to move with them? Not against them, not in a position to hold them back. Yo, we're not crabs in a bucket, but guess what? Humans are crabs in a bucket. Somebody else's win gives everybody else an opportunity to just hate on them. Why? Yo, celebrate that. Another human has come out of whatever it is they were coming out of and is celebrating a win or a new job or they booked a show or their Broadway debut. Never, never, never should we find ourselves in a position where we downplay people. Yo, it's already hard enough existing as a human on this planet. Why not celebrate rather than hate? I'm taking a sip of coffee. Yes, you are. I'm just like, put this man on a stage right now. Let's broadcast this. (laughs) Oh, man. Did that answer your question, by the way? Because (laughs) we Um, talked about the relationship and what is needed. And I I think I did answer it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Whether you did or not, I like where it went. So I'm glad you went there. And I I think think I did answer it. Yeah. And I think... And I'm I'm really glad that you touched upon what we eat and how we breathe. I think um, I think it's amazing how much is how much emphasis is being put on the mind and doing all this, you know, mental, you know, taking care of your mental health. And people forget that we're mind, body, and soul. And people 
people have no idea the impact that taking care of your body does, you know, and it's like the weather affects us. If you're, if like women are on their menstrual period, it affects them. If you didn't get enough sleep, it affects you. And so sometimes all you really need is, is to take care of that imbalance in your body. And then you're in a totally different place. I remember last year when you, you know, when you, you were particularly alone in that apartment. And I remember the times that you did come out, you would say, Oh my God, just coming out of this apartment, I feel so much better. Just stepping onto the roof. <laughs> for yeah. 15 minutes. Uh, I was going to ask you, how do you recognize those imbalances? Like, how do you know that it's an imbalance? Yeah, you know, hmm, that's a good question. If, you know, like for me, if I'm just feeling off, if I'm feeling particularly negative and, and like find myself just negative about like, oh, where's this going? Um, being upset about myself, then I actually just assess What's the situation? Because I, you know, I used to just think about the mind and say, okay, where's, where's the limiting belief here? Or like, what's the mantra that I can say? Or what are the, what's the thought pattern? But sometimes it's actually that, um, yeah, that I haven't been eating what I, you know, what I, what nourishes my body or I haven't been working out or, or my room is messy, Mm. you know, everything affects us. And I, the interviewee is becoming the interviewer. I would love for you to share how you got to that point because I know that that's a habit you had to create. And I love that you said, I, I assess the situation because that's the first step in CPR first aid. Yeah. Like assess the situation <laughs> to make sure that you're safe. Yeah. So in stepping back and being able to recognize, all right, maybe it's the messy room. Maybe it's the yeah. you know, it pizza that I ate last night. Yeah, it yeah. came from... It came from experience of, of, you know, doing a breathwork session and then saying, whoa, what? Okay. Yeah, that's all it took for me to feel better. I didn't have to like do hours of therapy, or, which is, you know, great. But I, that's what I just mean. It's all important. Or like not having sugar for a week and then suddenly having so much energy, you know? And, and it's actually things that have just happened um, because of external factors. So like, you remember last year I was dealing with these super intense UTI symptoms and gut, you know, I had to heal my gut. And so that entailed having to cut out sugar and, and caffeine. And when I did that, my energy levels just went up. So, so it it was just from experience, learning from experience for sure. Um, there's an, you know, there's been yoga classes that I've taken where, just the very act of, or, or even workouts, especially like with you, for example, just the very act of being able to do something has, has given me confidence of, you know, of feeling better. Like, wow, I did that. Mm. And that's mm. all it took. That's resonating so deeply. And I would love to bring up what that is within me. Yeah, and, please and do. You took, you took, First off, you put yourself in a position to recognize, become aware of what these feelings were. So I celebrate you on that because I I feel very much like I've been able to do the same. And I think what our listeners can benefit from is understanding that it's a dynamic action. Like it, it's, it takes practice. That's why yoga is called a practice. <laughs> My friends, we're never going to find perfection ever. We'll never, ever, ever find it. Like there is no eternal state of bliss there are moments of bliss 
And then knowing along with the bliss on the other end is going to be moments of suffering because that's what has to happen. That's the essence of being a human. And so I love that you found and recognized and then created a dynamic action plan. So I remember when you were going through that and I would ask you, I was like, hey, because before every class I teach, I'm like, how are you feeling? Are there any injuries, any pain, discomfort? And you're like, I'm not really comfortable today. Well, then let's do some gentle yoga. Mm. But we just found ourselves Oh my God. Really slowly moving yes. rather than, you know, the high intensity stuff. And I just need to and add I'm here. with you on that. Yeah, yeah I please need to do. add that the biggest thing is that I stopped asking myself, what am I doing wrong? And I started asking myself, what do I need? Period. Yo, say it again. I stopped asking myself, what am I doing wrong here? And I started asking myself, what do I need? Y'all can't see it, but I'm like dancing around. Here's why. Because that, that also along with what am I physically feeling? What am I emotionally feeling? What do I need? And when I feel my anxiety start to rise, because it's, hi friends, just because I'm a teacher and a guide and a nurturer and a motivator and a mentor doesn't mean that I don't suffer. <laughs> Again, it's hourly I'm faced with how do I feel? And when I feel that start to come up and I feel the agita in my chest start to swirl, I ask myself, what do I need? Am I safe? And if I'm not safe, guess what? I remove myself from that situation. And maybe that's a conversation. Maybe that's getting off the phone. Maybe that's leaving the place where I'm at. I walked into my brother bartends on Saturday nights for fun. He's a strength and conditioning coach. He runs the gym from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. And on Saturday evenings, because he's a huge craft beer fan, he goes and he pours beers here in Houston. So I went to go visit the brewery. But I walked into the brewery. Because it's Texas, no one is wearing a mask. Yeah, including my, Shout including out my to brother. Miami, also. Uh, <laughs> and 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 you know what? I I'm not going to be mad at them. I said I'm going to remove myself. So my brother then goes, "Hey, it's hot outside. Why are you sitting outside?" I was like, "I'm just not comfortable." And he was like, "Okay, he knows." So I sat outside in this Texas summer heat, <laughs> and was fine. But it's that. What can you do to put yourself in a position? where you start to feel comfort if you're uncomfortable. And that includes conversations with your partner or clearly, distinctively, candidly, frankly saying to your lover, your partner, your coworker, your boss, I'm not in a position to handle this right now. Or can we address what's been weighing on my mind and my heart? And I think the pandemic, if we had to find some positive points to the pandemic, is that it allowed us to say, finally, Hey, I'm not only handling these Zoom meetings, but I've got a three-year-old. Or my husband right now is COVID and is quarantined in our bedroom and has been for the last two weeks. These emails can wait. I had to step away. Tanai and I have been on adventures over the course of the last three to six months, but I had to step away. I took a sabbatical. I had to tell all my employers, all of my clients all of the people that I consult and coach with and say, no, can you do this? Nope. I had to learn how to say no because I knew that I was being driven into the ground and my mental health was not at its healthiest peak. Now, does that mean that I'm cured, quote unquote, healed? No. I told you at the, prior to us recording, it just means that I'm now in a better position to handle whatever it is that's going to come. And then that translates into my communication with my partners, my relationships, even my friends. I tell my friends the other day, we were on a text message thread and one of them posted a picture 
of a young man wearing a suit and heels. And of course, the boys started to razz on him. And I said, hey, boys, did you know, and I attached the article link, that heels actually were first worn by men. They were a sign of royalty. They were a sign of the bourgeoisie. It wasn't until later that they then became a fashion staple for women. But men still wear heels. They just don't wear three to four inch heels anymore. They're just one, one and a half, depending on the shoe or the boot. So stop it. Let this man proudly, and it was a graduation pick. So can we then, rather than harp on this man's heels, harp on the fact that here's a black man that graduated from an American college here in the U.S. And I'm spelling America, A-M-E-R-I-K-K-K-A. That's the America we live in right now. And the boys were like, oh, thanks, C. These are the same, these are the same boys that I've been friends with since college who were then yeah. like, oh, you're a dancer. Oh, you're wearing tights. What's up, queer? What's up, fag? Nope. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. So they learned then not to do that. And just now learned the lesson of let this man wear heels. I had on a skirt and a tank top and sandals the other day. Why? Because it's comfortable. Because he wanted to. Because <laughs> I wanted to. Yeah. And and my brother didn't black, he didn't bat an eye. He was like, that looks comfortable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. And we went inside and watched NBA playoff games. Yeah, I think like to that We're point. We're slowly shifting people. The yeah. pandemic is giving us also has given us the um the ability to express our boundaries and have them be respected. You know, like for for a lot of people, I'm not gonna overgeneralize, but I think it has given us the freedom to say, hey, I'm not available to show up at your party. And then it's okay. You know, I mean, I hope it's okay. I know a lot of people don't haven't been respecting those boundaries. But I also wanted to mention an experience that we had that I really appreciated, which is that you gave yourself the permission every time you didn't feel like showing up on our calls to say, I don't feel like showing up on our calls. And then every time you actually cancel the calls, you gave yourself the permission to say, I, I need to cancel, you know, like I can't show up. And then it gave me the permission to say, Caesar, I'm I'm feeling upset that I can't rely on you, that I don't feel like, you know, our, our schedule's reliable, you're, you know, like your word is reliable. And that was really big for me. In my journey with men, that was a really big step for me to actually tell a man or anyone really, but in particular for me, men, because that's, you know, men is, is my gender of choice who I date, um, to say what's wrong to say something they're doing that's upsetting me. That was huge for me. Um, so that's that's the importance of of expressing these things, of expressing, hey, here's the impact without making someone wrong. And like you said, the pain's going to be there. It might be hurtful to hear, might be hurtful to say when two people express what they're not available for or how they're feeling, but but it's what brings people together and what allows us to be free. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's wow. Talk about how important that is to be able to expressively say, I don't agree with that, or that hurt my feelings, knowing that that place that you're in with that, that hurt is temporary. My friends who are all listening, it's all temporary. Everything. The joy that you're feeling right now will transition to something else. I guarantee you, nothing, there is no consistent euphoria. There is no consistent grief or sorrow. There is no consistent pain. There is no consistent feeling of triumph. It's all ever shifting. And that's the concept of impermanence, which is a whole other conversation. But I think that's beautiful. And let me ask you this. What did that do for you in regards to creating 
this persona who can then say to a man, whether it's your friend like me or someone you're dating in a relationship with to say how you feel. Oh my God. It has been incredible. Let me just tell you, I went to this, I went to this event the other day about masculine and feminine and the divine union of the two. And, um, and they had us line up a row of men in front of a row of women and the men, you know, were just standing in front of each other, taking a few deep breaths. And then they asked the women, ladies, tell the man in front of you how much you trust him from one to 10. How, how, how safe do you feel in his presence? So I look at this man and I tell him about seven and then share to him why and, and what he, could he do for, for you to feel more safe. And so I look at this man's body language and he looked very stiff. He was trying to hold space, right? By like putting out his hands the way you do, um, like when you're sitting in, in like a lotus, what's it called? Lotus pose? Uh, like lotus, like cross-legged or even standing yeah, to the, like, like a mountain hands pose. Out. Yeah. So he was very much trying to do that. Um, and then, yeah, he, he, his, his face was a little sort of serious. And so when I gave him reflections and I was like, yeah, I don't know, your hands feel like very rigid and like. Maybe you're, you're like torso a little bit. So he relaxed his hands onto his legs. He like laughed and leaned back slightly. And I started bawling. Mm. I started crying so hard because I felt so safe. That little shift. That little shift. <gasps> Just him leaning back, especially. And I think that was like such a representation of sharing what you need and not you know and and not telling someone what's wrong yeah and and this is like this is crazy but it just reminds me of of what i've learned in your classes and what i've learned when we were working out together which is that every time you'd come up and say oh that hurts oh just um why don't you why don't you do it on the floor why don't you do it this way it was like you were just focusing on yeah modifying on what felt good which is what I got to experience in this exercise, asking someone to modify. So, and then experiencing like, wow, now I feel safe. Um, and here's a, and he's yeah. a complete stranger, right? Like complete stranger. He prior felt to that event too. He was like, wow, that was, that was crazy. You know, he could feel the shift in his energy and in, and in our energies together. And then I hugged him and I cried. I cried to him and I was like, thank you so much. I was beautiful. Um, like it broke me, you know? I'm I'm excited for you. Thank you for sharing that because not only did you get a chance to find some newfound insight into how you ask for what you need, but here is a man, without even knowing his history or who he is, here's a man who then was taught this valuable lesson on what it means to soften. And that's what I mean by aligned femininity. Because what happens is, is that whether you identify as man or identify as woman, we're often misaligned in certain parts of the femininity and the masculinity because we carry both. So here's this man who didn't need to sit up as rigid, was able to relax, was able to soften the hands because what did he do? He carried that tension through his fingertips and was able to sit. And then he turned it into a laugh. And then what did that do? That sitting back, that relaxing of the hands, that soft chuckle, whether he was attractive or not means nothing. It put you in a position to go, Okay, now you're not as threatening. And that's what we don't think of is that how you are can be perceived by someone else. 
And so that's where the problem lies is that we don't think of others because we're in a selfish society. So not judging the book by its cover, but just realizing that one little shift in energy, that one little smile, that one little step back can then create all of these positive ripple effects. That's, wow, that's, that's a revelation. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank you. How are you going to carry that then into anything else involving men? Yeah, you know, another, th- I'll, I'll, I'll say this the last thing because um, we're, yeah, we got to wrap up, but. But another thing that happened is that then we would have to shift onto the next guy. And I, w- I allowed myself to cry in front of all these men. And, and their reflection was like, wow, it was so beautiful to witness you in your tears. And it allowed me to feel safe. And it, it was co- the complete opposite message of what I was hearing my whole life of like, you know, don't show you're vulnerable or like, it's not attractive to cry in front of a man. And it was like, whoa, these men are actually like enjoying watching me cry Um, in a way. You know what I mean? Like, but not in like the sadomasochist. No, no, no. In the way of like, (laughs) beautiful to them that I feel safe in their presence to cry like that. You know, they really appreciated that. That's amazing. So that's something that, that I'm bringing. And also, and also just tapping into my body. Um, in the presence of anyone and noticing like if I, you know, am I, do I feel safe? Just like you said. And of course, if it's the kind of situation where I remove myself, then I, I remove myself, but I also am open to now asking for, for those um, modifications and asking like, Hey, you know, would you, would you step back? Would you give me space? Would you say it this way? So that, yeah, because it's in, it's in both of our benefits for everyone to feel safe. Completely agree. And what Tanaya is talking about is when I teach class, whether it's a fitness course or a yoga course, like modifications are signs of wisdom, not weakness. Most people think that because I can't do a full plank position push-up, that I'm weak. No, it just means you modify according to what you and your body needs. And I love what you just said because I never thought about it outside of the fitness studio or the yoga studio. No, that modification, those modifications can still be applied to our relationships, to our workplace to our family life, to our partner's life, because sometimes we have to modify. You're not going to get what you need or want all the time. So can you then be okay with what is currently present? Um, wow. That's, mm-hmm. you're amazing. I want to be a part oh, of this cool. event. I want to come and sit in front I of know. women. I know, I will invite openly you. Openly share. <laughs> I'd love to. Yes. Please, I'm happy to. I'll have to come down to Miami and do that. Yes. Oh, well, we're, we're going to need a part two. Absolutely. Yeah, but thank you so much for coming on here and once again, cracking your heart open for others to see as you do and as you continue to do with your smile and your words and your presence and your leadership. God, what a leader you are. Wow. I'm so inspired. And thank you. I love you. Yeah. Thank you for giving me your time today. And how can my listeners connect with you? Friends fellow soaring eagles and other warriors of light and love, please, please, please feel free to reach out to me. I absolutely love these conversations, obviously. And I can be found on a contact form or all of my social media links at my website. And that's www.thejourneywithcaesar.com. And Caesar is spelled C-E-A-S-A-R. And if you have any interest in just having a conversation 
or you want to learn more about breath work and its power, meditation, yoga, uh, please feel free to, to reach out to me. And on that same note, stay connected socially, say hello. Also, please know that tonight, and most of you already are aware of this, has grown into this fantastic teacher and mentor and coach. And so not only am I a fan of hers and she of mine, but please know that I am living proof that Tanaya Milgram in her beautiful, wondrous, super shiro essence has also taught me. And so if you ever need anything, yo, be sure to hit T up. And I can't wait to pick you up and squeeze you in person soon. I'm going to squeeze the breath out of you. And yes, let's do this again. Part two soon. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Commitment Phobe. If this episode left an impact on you, please share with friends, family, loved ones, ex-lovers, the people in your life who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations. If you're curious about the kind of work that I do as an intuitive coach, head on over to my website, www.tanaimelgram.com, where you can learn more about what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients, group coaching programs, and you can set up a discovery call with me to see how I can be of support to you. You could also follow me on Instagram on my handle at Tanai Milgram. I'm always posting content about what I'm up to and new insights, new learnings that I'm getting along my journey. And please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you like what you heard. So together we can start changing the conversation we're having about intimacy and commitments. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.